0: Hey, She Slayers, and welcome to a very special episode of She Slays Today podcast. This is number 100. So, you can't just have any guest on for your 100th episode. Um, you know, it's got to be kind of special. Like, it's a thing, it's a milestone. And for months and months, Kirby and I have been talking with Dr. Monique Andrews aka Dr. Mo Knows, and Dr. Tamara McIntyre about doing a virtual double date. Um, so I learned back in, gosh, where is the note? Episode 35 of She Slays a Day about Dr. Mo's obsession with like consciousness and spirituality and meditation. Um, and that I, I knew like, wow, she and my husband are like kindred souls, and I just sit and go, oh, oh my gosh, um, around them because you know they're cool people. So then I knew those two could just like geek out about Richard Rohr, Pema Chodron, Deepak Breathwork, meditation. Oh, have you tried this app? From they're cool people, I love them. Uh, so then in episode forty-four, I invited Dr. Tamara on for the COVID nineteen roundtable discussion. And her calmness and eloquence with words just like stunned me like so literally at the end of this round table she reads this poem at the end and she had five other women on the episode who love to hear themselves talk myself included all just utterly speechless um it was amazing So then I had Dr. Tamara back on for her own solo episode in episode 56. These are absolutely two of Kirby and my favorite people on the planet. I find it interesting that you, social media and COVID combined is very interesting. Um, You know, one, just the idea of like, hey, we should do a double date. And like, that's normal that that would be you know, virtual is, is funny because they live in Canada, you know, they don't, they don't live in Rice Lake. I don't know if you guys know that Dr. Mo and Tamara, not in Rice Lake. Um, and just having the platform of social media is very interesting because, you know, the essence of social media for some people anyways, um, is burying your soul and people responding to it and so you feel like you've had all these really deep conversations so I truly feel like we know them and they know us yet we've never actually met in real life although we've had multiple opportunities where I think we were going to be speaking at um, making her story a couple times until just you know this COVID thing it just keeps going you guys it just keeps going (laughs) so okay So it only made sense that we were going to have them on for a 100th episode. It was like, yep, great. Before we go into, I guess, their bio, I don't know, whatever I'm about to read, um, we are going to insert a reprise of one of my favorite reviews that have been left for the podcast. There have been so many good ones. Please don't be sad if I didn't pick yours. This one was just really good. So this one is from Future DC Megan or Future DC Megan. I'm not really sure. Um, I do know that Megan slash Megan and I have something in common that as soon as we say our names, we probably have to start spelling it for people because they're going to spell it wrong. Um, oh, funny story. Okay. So I'll get around to this review, I swear. So I was just interviewed on I'm gonna is it? I think it's Angus or Agnes, shoot, that would have been a good thing. See, this is why these tangents are inappropriate, because I don't do my prep work as a damn podcast host. Anyways, I was on his podcast last week. And he's um, from Australia. And he goes, like, so is your name pronounced Lauren or Lauren? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you just said the same thing. What are you saying? And He laughed. And he's like, okay, so you don't care. And I'm like, nope, nope. But yeah, apparently, there's Lauren, which I okay, I can hear it now. And Lauren, and nobody's ever really asked me about my first name. Everyone's all like, so how do you pronounce that last name? And I'm like, yeah, why? I, you guys, here's is a trivia question for all you She Slate geeks out there. No, that's mean. You're not geeks. You're fangirls. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, who knows what my maiden name was? DM me if you know it. But it was way easier to pronounce than Brunzlick but me being the smart strategist that I am. I've actually had someone go like, how did you decide whether to like make your doctor name his name? And some people might think that like the ego in me would have wanted to hold on to like my last name because she's the one who did the work and blah, blah, blah. And my answer is very strategic and not heartfelt at all. When I tell people, I'm like, oh, we were moving to his hometown and his last name got like street cred. So it was a business decision. I'm a heartless person, you guys. Welcome to episode 100. Anyways, back to future DC Megan. Uh, She wrote this in August 25th of 2020. So I'm wondering if she's no longer future DC Megan, and she's just DC Megan or Megan. So this is, she absolutely slays this podcast. Dr. Lauren is a freaking rock star. Can you guys tell why I picked this? This review to reread? Hmm. Reprise. Her podcast encompasses multiple different facets of life as a female chiropractor, and it is the perfect resource as a female chiropractic student. She brings on so many amazing women who I love learning from and see as mentors, even though they have no idea. Ha-ha. I found this podcast and binged it so hard. I couldn't stop myself because she's real, authentic, hilarious, down-to-earth, driven, beautiful, blah, blah. No, she didn't. Okay, she didn't add beautiful, but like, you know, I just wanted to keep going. Um cannot recommend this podcast enough. Double exclamation mark. Thank you, Dr. Lord. Thank you, Future DC Megan. Megan. I appreciate it. Um yeah. So, let's uh us see, what are we doing here? Let's Oh, yeah, we should probably introduce the guest, guys. How have I not gotten better in this, This in 100 episodes? I'm just like, oh, just me and this microphone, just having a conversation. Maybe I should uh, organize my thoughts better. All right. So you can hear uh, each of these women's like accolades independently in their respective episodes. So Dr. Mo, episode 35, Dr. Tamara, episode 56. Um, But today I kind of chose to introduce them Together as a unit. Um, so, I'm going to tell you about something that they've created together, which is the Prana Foundation. So, this is the mission statement of their foundation that they've created Prana is life force, the essence that sustains us from the moment of conception until our last breath. Yet, whether guided by misaligned ambitions, burdened by stress, or simply lost on our own journey, We all experience moments of disconnection from the regenerative power of this abundant life force. As health professionals and educators with more than 35 years of experience, we have witnessed these periods of suffering in our patients, our students, and ourselves. It is our mission through the Prana Foundation to cultivate an engaged, supportive community that fosters healing, growth, and the fullest expression of our realized selves through continuing education a professional community and personal development. Um, I just thought that was so beautifully worded that I was like, well, that's what we're going to talk about for their introduction. Uh, the Prana Foundation also has some retreats that they do. I don't know if their women's one in June or July is fully booked. I knew it was very, uh, there was only a couple seats left. So if you have not heard of the Prana Foundation, I cannot think of two more amazing people to lead a chiropractic spiritual personal development retreat. Kirby and I are planning on going the next time they have a couples retreat um, to just have awesomeness. So, all right. So, like I said, today's basically a behind the scenes of a double day. So, that means there was some shit talk. Um, some inappropriate for TV conversations that were edited out. Um, And maybe one day in the She Slays Shares All edition. No, just kidding. That doesn't exist. Um, That's not a real thing. Uh, But anyways, we're going to jump right in. You're going to hear us kind of mid-conversation and then we're going to stream out because we didn't really set the timer. We didn't have an agenda. We just talked. So let's pray and we'll let you in. Dear God, thank you for everything that's happened in this journey of podcasting. Thank you for all of the amazing people who've come into my life and changed me. I pray people listening have gotten even a fraction of what I have. I pray this has given a platform for important voices to be heard. Thank you especially for Mo and Tamara. Your light so clearly shines through them that when you're just with them, you feel closer to you. And I pray you continue to bless them and their efforts within this profession and in the world so that they can continue to spread a message of love. In your name we pray. Amen. All right,
1: peeps. Episode 100. Here you go. We're probably not going to talk about quarantine today. What are we talking about today? <laughs>
2: Well, yes. I, I think we should stick on the uh, kind of subject of uh, somewhat authoritarianism. I would love to hear what just happened with the uh, censorship, the censorship. and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. To Can you Yeah. Me out that?
3: Yeah. Well, and last night was her actual um, master class that she had for students. And there was 2000 students registered from 30. I mean, 2000 eight. students didn't show up, obviously. Yeah. That's students. why I said registered. I'm no. using my words. Yeah. 38 countries. That's amazing. And and I had like the moment that we get on Zoom and you just watch the ticker of the participants. Of course, I say,
1: you know, as you're logging in, say where you're from. And it was coming so fast. And so, and it was like South Africa, Chile, Mexico, Portugal. I'm like... I got overwhelmed, like I started to cry because I was like, "Whoa, this
3: is." It was like really special. It was like your eyes just fixed on where the little bubble box yeah. was showing the locations, and they just kept scrolling, and and it was like Venezuela and Gen- Indonesia, all over the UK, and then obviously the US and the different institutions, and everybody was typing it in, and so like it just kept going. Like I caught it on my phone because I was like, this. Is amazing. Yeah. I thought, you know, like, I'd
1: probably get a few hundred, whatever. I've offered a free masterclass before, but this was like, what? I mean, I had to buy like the super duper Zoom webinar. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, oh shit, there's a thousand bucks. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: wasn't, what like inspired the class? Cause you've done multiple classes.
3: Was this one more? This is your, this is really your classic Gateway, Like if people are going to be introduced to. Really, this is my one of my very early
1: signature talks that I do on the neurology of subluxation. And so uh, a student group from a chiropractic college reached out to me and they're like, hey, we're doing this science night. This was like in December. We're doing this science night. Would you speak? I'm like, of course, I'll speak. Right. And, uh, and then about, and then they're like, well, you have to fill out a speaker application. So I fill it out and then they come back and they say, well, they need more details. I'm like, okay, like they got an annotated bibliography of my talk on neurology subluxation. It's all like evidence informed the whole deal. And it's like weeks. And I say to Tamara, I'm like, I think they're gonna deny it. She's like, don't put that out there. And then sure enough, we were in Costa Rica and I get an email back just after Christmas. And it says, uh, they said, no, I'm like, what? I'm like, can you ask why? So she goes back and they say, we don't give out that kind of information. And then I write to uh, a senior college administrator that I know there, just not like, not a friend, but we kind of know each other from the circles or whatever. And I write to him and no response. So I never, I mean, is it, you know, is it my hair? Is it <laughs> I <use> the, <laughs> the, the word subluxation? Uh, you know, is it because I used to work at another chiropractic college? Is it? It actually you know, for
3: I, me, I yeah. And so then you go into like what exactly about her? What exactly about this topic? What like it? Actually, I don't think it was the topic. I
1: really, I think it had more to do probably with you know, my previous affiliations. No, like, but you're just guessing. I don't know. Yeah, I'm guessing. It doesn't
2: matter. You're but guessing. That, I mean, that raises an interesting question of, one, have you ever faced that before? And two, like, is this something fairly new that colleges are- pre- It's not new. Who not gets new. The
1: no, no. When when
0: we, I was at, well, I mean, I can only speak to, at Northwestern, um, Maximize Living was treated like a cult. Oh, yes. like, they, like they can't have access to Oh students. my gosh, no, they would not let- so they did let Reggie Gold in, um, okay. but they um, they did not let. Uh, yeah, they were. Yeah, they, it was I mean, very.
1: We, it was like when we were in school, and there were certain people that weren't allowed. And then uh, it changed when our, the president changed. We went to Palmer Davenport, and uh, when Guy Reekman came, he, everybody was then allowed on campus. But you know, like uh, I, you, know, I've had uh, this was the first. It's not the first time I was actually banned from a school, but the other one was a school I used to work at. But that's a different story. Um,
3: I think, yeah, it seemed like I think chiropractic, because we we tend to I mean, there's a lot of divisiveness within our profession. Anyway, and then different schools at different decades and periods of time. Who's administration? What are they trying to do? What kind of education are they attempting to deliver? The concern, really, I think, for both of us was I don't know what was controversial about us, about talking about scientific literature as it relates to the neurology of why we do what we do as chiropractors is going to offend any college regardless yeah. I don't of think, its affiliation. I don't think it, it's
1: like, maybe it could be the word yeah. subluxation, but I, I mean, there's, it's a lot of politics really.
0: Yeah. I mean, I could see it being, and aren't we really good at hypothesizing like what yeah, happened? Yeah. I think we're great. We're gonna solve this. Um, <laughs> I'm glad could, you think so. <laughs> right. I could see it being embarrassing as a college of like, to paraphrase kind of like, I'm sure, you know, it's so hard because you've got like the ego. So it's not like they were consciously like, oh no, this will like, I feel shame and embarrassment, but like on some kind of level of power of like, well, if she comes and talks to the students about this, we're going to need to have professors that like, are answering like, well, she brought up this. What about this? And we don't really know much. We don't have anybody who's doing this level of research. So then we're gonna look bad. Like
1: we're employing, you know. Here's the sad truth, Lauren. And that is, I don't think the administration actually cares that much about faculty.
3: (laughs) I think that's true.
1: Well, they care about themselves though, right? Like ultimately they care about the That's also why I never said what college it was because well, A, I'm classier than that. And that's not the point. Uh, the point is, and this is a problem across all colleges, is for ego, political, philosophy, whatever reason, these colleges that garner massive tuitions are really selecting, you know, based on uh, not the right reasons, what their students can and cannot listen to. And that's not new. It's, I think it's always been like that. Very sadly, if I was a student, I would be kicking up a stink. Oh, I mean, I did kick up a stink when I was a student. It
2: It just stinks of a, a paternalism of they're training these people to be doctors so they can go out in the world and be someone that people trust with their health and their lives, but they can't be trusted with controversy or different information like that.
1: This it's, is a the free speech issue on yeah, campuses. Like you think there should be intellectual freedom at an institution of higher learning, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. And, and something I said in the video is like, this is the intellectual equivalent of bur- burning books, mm-hmm. like not allowing access. They're going to go get it. And in fact, it backfired because... <laughs> 20% of the world's population of chiropractic student now have access to this talk. Well, actually everybody has access because I just dropped it for sale.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you too, Kim. I mean, and, that, and that's that doesn't seem to be learned is like whatever you ban, you give it, I mean, good for you that it does give it power, but whatever you say, like, absolutely don't look over there. I just want to yeah. look over there now.
3: Oh, totally. Uh, Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's the complicated, like we, it's what holds us back as chiropractors is, you know, and, and it's like even last night as we're watching, like we're watching the ticker, you know, and I'm managing the chat piece and collecting the questions throughout the masterclass. And ultimately, you know, when you're choosing topics for podcasts, we all know where the gaps are and what questions doesn't matter what content we're delivering, what questions and where do we end up? We end up in the space of, okay, uh, I want to talk about adjusting. I, I want to talk about technique. I want to talk about business. I want to yeah, talk about all those things. Like, What's
1: the best technique?
3: I'm like, Oh my yeah. God, really? But they, but it always ends up in that same sort of place where it's kind of like, I'm not, this is what I'm not getting. Where am I going to get it? And so for those of us that are out there saying, I'll answer your questions, I'm going to make myself available. It's kind of like when to adjust, when not to adjust. I want to understand the neurology of what I'm doing. I want to understand. Okay. Oh my
1: gosh. That the post I did the other day, that was the joke with the pie Mm -hmm. that this is what students get in school. Do you know what? That post got more um, interaction and responses than any post I've ever made. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Whoa.
2: It's the thing that we talked about while she was in school of like, you had like one business class, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. like, they expect 80% of you to go out and start a business, and the only totally. people know anything about business. Like, yeah, yeah. bonkers.
3: And, and, yeah, totally. And then, you know, the patient care piece. Like, I remember a while ago, um, you posted, Lauren, a picture of Sousa was an old version. You're like little lunchtime read, you know? (laughs) Which I'm like, textbooks are so much cooler when you're older. (laughs) I went straight
0: from like high school to school, to college, to like grad school. And like, I was always so annoyed by like the 35 year old or the 45 year old in the class who's like, all right, any final questions? And we're all like packing up and they're like, how does this apply in real life? And we're like, come on, Susan. Damn it. But now I'm just like, when you go, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Did you know the adductor
3: attaches there? That makes so much sense. Oh my God. It's, it's, you, you had it as like a lunchtime read. And the, the thing that happens with me is because most students know me as an administrator in charge of clinical education, like the whole piece of, how you apply and what that looks like in practice. Like they actually are pretty sure I just carry around textbooks all the time, right? Like like they're pretty sure that's like the way I do everything. And then the reality is they come with all of these questions. They don't know where to go look it up. They don't see that, like until they're that patient with that thing that they're struggling with that they needed to know about the adductor or they needed to know about this other. It's like yeah. then all of a sudden like it's like, Oh,
2: yeah, Then it matters. terrorized right. by so
1: much insignificant information that just having to consume one more thing. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's pretty overwhelming when you're in school.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I had a question this week that came on Instagram and it was like, I'm learning all this stuff and I don't really know how much of it I'm ever gonna use, honestly. And I know I'm gonna use it for boards, but then there's all of this other part of the profession and content that I wanna learn. Um, but I'm so burnt out at the end of the day. Like, I'm just really worried. Like, how do I know that I'm getting what I need that from, from actually like my day-to-day school? And how am I really gonna have find time to focus on what I know I'm gonna need when I'm in practice. And even then they don't know what they're going to need. Right. Like you and I both know that's that. life though. Like it's, that is mm. absolute what life is, is like, yeah, I
0: wake up and I have to spend time telling my toddler to put her boots on seven times. And then, you know, I get to work and I have to deal with bullshit there. And then like, and so, yeah, by the time I get home, I'm tired and you know, you either choose to stay in your shell of a human or you have to find that energy somewhere. Like mm-hmm. you have to, because yeah. it doesn't go away. You don't get more energy when you're out of school.
2: But I think there's the thing of like the, like what they're saying, the franticness of, or the, the need that comes from actually needing to know it of like having a patient who has that problem solidifies it so much differently in your head. Yeah. And you actually learn that skill or learn that knowledge and keep it. I saw a, a TikTok video from like a CEO in India who said like the next the next phase is we built up this entire thing around like education and pedigree of like where you went and what grades you got and if you have an MBA and he said the next phase is skills right. where I don't give a shit if you went to Cambridge I don't care if you have a Harvard MBA can mm-hmm. you do the job that I need you to do right now if you learn to code in your parents' basement. And you know how to code for what i need i need you now like
0: yeah. <laughs> how does that how does that overlay
2: chiropractic's a, prof- a, a hard question
0: yeah. where it's like well please don't learn chiropractic in your
2: basement <laughs> <laughs> i mean is there is
3: somebody's somebody's <laughs> living room
1: like if you said where did you learn it's like kirby said don't look over there no adjusting outside of yep. class <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: I got adjusted so much while she was in chiropractic. I <laughs> heard can't come after friends. me now.
1: I can't get you now. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an interesting point, actually. We were talking about not that long ago is what you see very oftentimes is you see students and young docs saying, well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And, you know, we were talking about that, like, that's kind of the wrong question. It's like, why is this patient presenting? Why is this person experiencing what they're experiencing? And when you understand the why, then figuring out what to do has meaning. Like, it's like where to go look that up or why you're going to look that up at lunchtime or, and being okay with, this is what I know because I, I collected all the information and it's not... I just need somebody to give me the answer right now. And that's kind of the mentality that yeah. school is cultivating. It's like regurgitation. What's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? When in actual fact, when you're in practice, like you get more comfortable the longer you're in practice with uncertainty mm-hmm. and knowing what you know, knowing what you don't. And there's no ego associated with your like, hey, yeah, I have no idea. What do you think I should do? Like, <laughs> what's going on with this person? Like, I need some help. That you was know? me more than her. Yeah. <laughs>
1: She was like a walking Sousa. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then like, so, you know,
0: school, you they have to teach us certain things mm-hmm. in order to get the degree. I mean, I guess for them it's and to stay accredited too. You know, it's not like a school can be like, we're not going to teach biochem. Um, right. But then when schools have tried that
3: and then they lose their accreditation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, like, I mean, come,
0: and then they, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, my job um, in my last passion project was, I was in charge of clinical education, which ultimately meant I was responsible for making sure that the students learned what the regulators wanted them to know. And the the I think a lot of people misunderstand that or they, they blame the, limit, the, the limitations or the quality of what's being provided on the accreditors. Um, and i would say to you you know like i remember saying to a student we were we were um, just finishing a service trip in mexico and i was driving with a pile of students and and they had asked me they were really sort of like i'm not getting what i need i'm not getting what i need what i need and and i said well you know first of all let's just make sure like the 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 colleges and universities now are responsible for giving you the degree and giving you all you know and giving and giving you all that information so you can you know check the boxes to get the the license but they're not responsible for your education like they're not assuming responsibility for your education yeah, they're assuming a your responsibility for a degree
1: there's a difference Tamara, between saying they're not responsible for your education and they're not assuming responsibility, correct? And that is two very different things. Yes, yeah.
3: because the the actual education and assuming responsibility for the education, institutions could be doing. They're just some of them aren't. Some of them are, but some of them aren't. And I know that in that role, yeah, they could. Like they could be teaching biochemistry you know, man, a, a, with, functional, a perspective functional perspective. That was
1: interesting. Right. It's not like my, the joke about my graph was like half of your degree is a Krebs cycle. It just felt like that because nobody, well, so I won't say nobody. Rem- it was so rarely far- taught from a perspective that is meaningful. It's right. like, you just have to memorize right. the stupid it's thing. It's so
3: far removed. And so, you know, when I say like, assuming responsibility for education, like imagine if, you all the neurology classes talked about neurology, not from a PhD. Here's the, you know, here's the neurology that you're going to get in a chiropractic college, but here's a neurology that you need to really own as a chiropractor. Like they all could be doing that.
2: Yeah.
3: You know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't. So say. yeah, like I, I hopeless <laughs> you guys.
2: Come on. Yeah,
3: I know. I think it's just. I think it's really just. It's the now we're honest. probably just
1: bitter. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, in and that,
0: I'm that asshole too. So i like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. if I if I were running a school, and again, I say this all the time, like nobody asks me. I don't know why, um, <laughs> but like, you, there's so much divisiveness
1: in yeah.
0: our profession, which I would like to think that there is divisiveness in other professions i I don't think that's endemic to chiropractic i don't be like dentists
1: hating on dentists and stuff and like and i think the problems we're discussing are also not endemic to chiropractic like political issues around who gets to speak where and you know sometimes you have to pay to get to speak places um you know this isn't unique to chiropractic i don't want anybody to think that definitely don't want anyone to think we're trashing in chiropractic which we love and we would love for there to be, you know, the ultimate program. No school program is perfect. Um, anyway. But if
0: I were running a school, I would want, I wouldn't want to pick a side. Like, is it kind of one of those things where if you don't pick a side, then, well, then you're going you to lose attacked everyone? Well,
2: both sides. So yeah. if you, if you let, if you truly had like a, an open paradise That's of true. let anyone speak. Northwestern and, was yeah. offering
0: flu vaccines the year I left.
2: And, and sure you people- can't
0: have that coexist at the same time as, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, there is a certain amount of, you know, different institutions. If you think of the continuum of chiropractic, I mean, over the years, different institutions have a different reputation for sort of hanging, you know, somewhere on that continuum. Right. And so there is that reputation and that space that they kind of hold. But then there's the other piece, which is, you know, if we're really being honest about chiropractic, like, you know, th- I, I'm going to do it, but like the manner with which um, our educations are run, they're principally run with a male model of leadership, mm-hmm. uh, we are in a, a, a touching nurturing profession, but that's not necessarily the conversations we're having when we're learning about like, when you have your very first technique class, are you actually talked about, you know, do they actually talk about autonomy of your own body? And, and do you actually have those boundaries when you're a student, as far as how you touch each other before you go into the big world of touching other human beings? And are they having, you know, it's very male
1: oriented, yeah. In its instruction and in oftentimes in its delivery when and I think you said this, Tamara, chiropractic is actually quite feminine.
3: It's very feminine. I mean, if you think of like how many women, Lauren, have you had that conversation where their big struggle is delivering force? Mm -hmm. Because it's just to their core, like the actual, how much force, like, I don't want to hurt anybody, because we've been brought up since we were little girls in this culture, that we're not meant to be wrestling physically Mm -hmm. in the playground. And that's, you know, that's not who we should be. And then yet we go into chiropractic college. And I remember really, I had this moment and I'll never forget it. I went into my pelvic class and we're learning how to adjust slam the sacrum. (laughs) Well, and the instructor said, it's going to take 75 pounds worth of force to move a sacrum. Whoa. I was sitting in that class and I thought I'm out like, I'm going to have to figure this out, but like, there's no. Like, I thought, Oh my God, I, I could never imagine putting 75 pounds worth of force into another human being. And I thought like the, the, that moment for me was so critical because I just thought there's gotta be another way to do this. Because if you're think, if, if that's what I'm going to have to do, then I, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Like that felt so wrong to me. Yeah. You
0: know, so it's like, it's this very mechanical and you know, even when we say masculine, you know, when we talk, I honestly, I feel like Mo, you were the one who said this when we were talking, but like, you know, masculine doesn't have to, energy does not have to be delivered by a male. Like the masculine energy is so necessary. Yeah. For the like, okay, listen, people, you've got 28 credits this trimester. You're going to need to have a to-do list. You're going to need to have structure. You're going to, you know, and like historically that masculine energy is that very like, get this done, like have this process. And so we're just stuck there though, because, you know, there's no conversation about spirit. And like, it took me like nine, eight years into probably like eight years into practice, probably I mean like 80,000 adjustments. And like, I started to realize that like, there was, intuition that not even in just like knowing what to adjust for sure that happened way but like literally like our bodies were interacting and their body was giving me information that i wasn't even asking for you know way earlier it was like oh i have to adjust the right sacrum i don't know why i know that but then Mm -hmm. like eight years in there was this other level of just like this merging and it's like nobody ever talks about that and how spirit lays in and so that's the feminine energy Yep. is missing
1: yeah yeah they talk about it in some techniques like network bgi gets into that what's happening with this energetic being right and and literally what how our, the field integrates my information your information you the person on the table you you know the concept that we think that the boundary of self is the skin that it's our body right? But where is the boundary of self? Like if we think about like what our physical manifestation is just the, the, the level that we're vibrating at, but that doesn't mean that our other energies aren't merging.
3: Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're totally right about that, that like, that's what practice is all about is, is it's about your own journey. It's not like there's this idea that that practice, like that growth experience that you're just talking about, it's like you start practice and it's in your head and you're trying to, you know, and then you get to a place where you, you learn about your own intuition and you, you know, you, and you, you relate to that. And then you, then you get into the space you're talking about, which is, you know, I'm sure when people watch us work, they'll go, why did you do that? Or why, where did you go? Or, why I'm did you ask that question? adjusting a baby and right. have people being like, what are you feeling for? And I'm like, oh
0: uh, i mean I, I can guess i was feeling for tone and energy
1: moving i can't tell you this is like a- i'm the worst technique teacher so when it comes to the clinical stuff T- tamara's uh i she gets annoyed when i say this that she's the genius but like if i'm working on someone and a student says what are you doing i'd be like i don't know i'm just <laughs> my i don't have the i mean you ask me about anything about the brain and neuroscience i like you know, take it down, but ask me when I'm working on somebody and I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to talk. And I never wanted to talk in practice either
3: actually. Yeah. I, and, but it's that, it's that part. Like, that's what is so, that's what I love about chiropractic is I love that space of we, I mean, for, for me now, 20 years later of working with, with and on people is we are energetic, spiritual beings living in a physical vessel and there, and, and we can, know so much more about our patients outside of words and out of the outside of the construct of what we originally were taught that we now 20 years into practice I there is a knowing like when somebody lies on the table and watching the way they breathe and so much more in how they relate to their body that they tell me that then will inform the way I'm going to approach that body, isn't that, you know? was it? was a roomy
1: quote what is it I'm going to mess it up there's a voice that doesn't have words. Listen.
3: Yeah. Mm. Or something
1: like that. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, maybe. And I think that
1: we know what about that. a field. Right
0: there's a roomy quote about a field.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of great roomy <laughs> quotes. <aren't> there? <laughs> there's, there's definitely, definitely a lot of <laughs> yeah. Do
0: you guys just sit and talk
3: about science and spirit all day long? Like, no, we were actually we were listening to your podcast on Valentine's Day, and um, <laughs> yes, not helping. Valentine's you are not helping. <laughs> um, and. You know, the couple piece is really interesting because what I'm most passionate about, like, I mean, to be really honest, like I love listening to her speak and sometimes I don't want that detailed yeah, information. Be like, oh, I just
1: found this, and then she'll be like, no, no, I don't need to know about the police accumbens anymore.
3: Yeah, I'm like, and, and And then there's moments where, I, you know, like I have my own thing and I get excited, but then there's also like, listening to the couple piece. And part of the reason we had even talked about doing a couple's retreat is that all of those things you talked about, it's respecting each other. And and where's that shared space that we are both that we connect in personally, and where's the shared space we connect in professionally? And how do you place that in your life so that you're not lying in bed talking about the newest research article? like. that that actually takes work. I think we probably talk you know? more about mindset
1: and psychology and spirit than we do about like science or clinical stuff.
3: Well, I think, yeah, like I think one of the things we've said before is we're both really interested in the human condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, that's just naturally like my my eyes and the way I observe the world is a feeling space. So I think we probably talk about the feelings, yeah. Based the human of being, predicament, yeah. It's fascinating, human. yeah. Way more than probably like the nucleus accumbens, yeah.
0: That reminds me of a fight Kirby and I got into a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> We're talking, yeah. So we will. We'll put the kids to bed. We get ourselves a cocktail. We find a show, and then like the same thing i do on the podcast where i like interview people and go on tangents i'll be like hold on pause it for a sec and then like an hour and a half later (laughs) we're still talking about something so what were we talking about that you felt you needed to um like preface you said like god or whatever you would call it and i was like wait what what do you mean? He goes, well, I, and so he started to like explain himself to me. And I'm like, I know. Cause he's like, well, you know, I didn't want you to think when I said God, I meant like a man in the clouds with a beard. And I'm like, I'm your freaking wife. Like, what do you, what do you think that I think that you,
2: well, I carry my own baggage with the word God. And so like, and I think I was re- relating something that I was reading. I just read be here now by Ram Das. So like, uh. I was like in, the clouds, sometimes. the clouds, yeah. And so I was very much like, yeah, I was relating to that, and like thinking about God. I always go back to like sitting in my, you know, the church that my dad's a pastor at, and like, you know, that that God, Jesus is that guy on the wall who happens yeah, yeah. to be white for some reason. But, so no, but I like still qualify myself. Yes, that's what I was. Looking at
1: you qualify yeah. yourself. And I'm like, you don't need to, to do strangers, that. but not to your wife, probably. Yeah. yeah.
3: But yeah. but that's but actually, I think that I think that that's sometimes the funniest. The, there's funny moments. And for us as a couple who have been together for so long, where there are times where I'm talking because. I want to talk about mm-hmm. something. And like, we had this funny interaction really recently where she's like, oh, do we have to talk I don't about, to talk this, about again? this anymore? And I said to the her- masks or something. Right, you and know? I said to her, okay, just to be clear, I don't care whether you want to listen, I need to talk <laughs> and you're it because I've got nobody else right now around <laughs> me. So if you could just humor me by looking interested for a few more minutes so that I can have my moment, of reflection out loud i'd really appreciate it so do that, you actually communicate with each other like that like do you
2: i well, really that that, that I, was that was, really- was like when i was like
1: i can't talk about this anymore and she was like listen <laughs> you don't have to talk but you're gonna have to listen because i need to talk and there's nobody else to talk to might have been the end of quarantine where we're like oh MG. and yeah she was just like no yeah this is we are a part we're in a partnership so you're just going to have to this is your, your service to me by just shut up and listen
2: <laughs> so that raises a question of like are you do you tamara do you like process thinking out loud and like as you're speaking you're thinking and mo you're more like cook it all in your head and then <laughs> say something the
3: this is the interesting thing like i think we're we're both expressive introverts and we've had to learn, you know, who needs space at what time, you know, so that you ha- we have our independent space. And then there's the place where I really do just need to talk. And I think that this year has really, like I didn't realize how much I depend on even just communication to relate to another human being Because I've just had so little contact this year that if I can have an exchange where I can relate to another human being that is not somebody I know intimately, that's kind of you know an acquaintance in some way, I didn't realize I got something from that. Like it makes me feel connected because I'm not out in the world right now. I'm you know so if I'm in a restaurant and I want to have a conversation and you know the person that's serving me wants to talk about their experience in the world with a mask, you know. She, like she basically like if there was a gif where like the eyes are rolling and somebody's falling backwards like that's basically like she's like i'm out of this conversation and
2: yeah that's when me, i like reread the menu for the eighth time even though right I and what
3: that's I'm what, what she'll do like she just yeah. checks out whereas for me i'm interested in listening to another human being's experience i'm not and she's <laughs> hey so like i talk a lot
0: less about their what they're going through and listening yeah. to them
3: yeah.
1: I, actually, I think what I, I do talk a lot less and I'm like, even, I think when I was younger, I used to, and now I just sort of feel like, yeah, there's not that many new words or something. I don't know what happens to me. And um, yeah, I don't know what the hell I was <laughs> going to say then. Yeah.
0: Do you? Okay. Because neither of you, are both of you working at home from home? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So
0: <laughs> back to the conversation of like, boundaries and relationship what kind of daily rituals how do you incorporate like is, do you have a
1: large home where you can go to different corners or like thankfully yes and we each have our own office and we're on different floors our offices are on different floors we uh we meet in the morning we'll have tea you know we have a daily practice that we do meditation prayer movement what have you and then it's kind of like okay see you at lunch Oh, that's Literally. Amazing. And yeah, awesome. off we go.
3: Yeah. I mean, I we've tried to, I think we've tried to kind of mimic a little bit of like what has worked for us historically. I like getting up early in the morning. I like my private time in the morning. She's not as much of an early morning person. Um, she knows that I like I love making breakfast. I really always want her to be interested in breakfast. And sometimes she's just not. It's very upsetting for me. But. Um, and we will, we will meet in meditation some mornings, which I really love, um, or we do it on our own. Sometimes I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll exercise and be out running and she'll have her time. But we always know, like there's this, you know, there's this time kind of every morning between eight 30 and 10 AM where it's our dance of what we need for ourselves personally. We check in what's, what's your day look like? We always know. Yeah. But then
1: there's just like separation. Yeah. I think that's healthy. Yeah. uh, You know, if you have a couple working at home together, you know, like and because we are living in a city that's new to us, we actually when we moved here, we didn't know anybody. And uh, and then COVID hit. So we really don't know anybody. And we still don't know anybody. So
3: so knowing how to take care of. Ourselves, like me, knowing how to take care of myself, knowing what I need, asking for what I need, um, c- being very clear about that from a communication perspective, um, and n- knowing how we each work. Like we'll check in, and and like I do have a do not disturb on my door, um, and we respect that. Mm-hmm. Like um, you know, you, we need we need our own personal space, our own personal autonomy of our own schedule. And then we still have that conversation yeah. about, you know, what are we doing for dinner tonight? Or, you know, um, I'm having, I'm gonna make some lunch. Would you like some? Or I'm making breakfast, would you like some? You know, or I'm gonna make breakfast. You better
2: eat that breakfast. Like, yeah,
3: like today was a perfect example. You had two coaching calls and I went for a run and I came back and it was like, I could make breakfast now. But I would love to have breakfast with you. When are you available? She's like, I'm available at 11:30. I'm like, okay, well, I'll have breakfast ready for 11:30. Yeah. And it was literally, she goes to her office, I, you know, go for my run and and shower. It's and good. It's been meet. a
1: really healthy way to do it. Yeah, actually, and yeah. Um, it was very. It's very. I think we if we live consciously, like we make conscious decisions around how we relate to one another. This is the biggest challenge that people have, right? Is to actually like not take things personally and to be really conscious about how you manage yourself, how you manage yourself in relation. This is a big struggle for students and young docs today because they, those are gifts I think that come with age, really.
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and the other thing too, I mean, one of the things that you guys had mentioned on the podcast was, the way you interact from a respect perspective the older that i've got the older as a couple we've got the more respectful i've become because my words have the potential of being more hurtful than anybody else's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if i'm going to unleash then i have to also understand that while it may not have been my intention the person i love the most is going to be the recipient of whatever it is that comes out of my mouth. And so I feel like as we've gotten older, we've gotten even more respectful of that vulnerable space when we're stressed so that I'm even more aware of how how I'm feeling and how I'm showing up today Mm -hmm. is going to deeply impact her more than anybody else in this world. And I take responsibility for making sure that I'm not um, creating another dynamic in her day because I don't have my shit together, you know, That's, uh, uh,
2: no. sorry. Right. So
3: like, you know, I deal with so much
0: like people pleasing stuff that comes from, which I think, you know, is probably a very normal, like you're 20 something doc, you feel like this imposter and you just want to like, you know, everybody like me because I'm broke and I don't know what, you know, yeah. and I feel like I could see as I continue to take steps towards like, I'm going to show up consciously yeah. in my interactions with my patients mm-hmm. and consciously in my interactions with my staff, there's more, cause I was going to ask you like when you're saying like you're being conscious, Mo. I was going to say like, well, is that realistic if you're like in practice and you're seeing like 80 people that day, like that sounds exhausting, but what I'm doing of like not showing up consciously as I don't want to say not my genuine self, but like whatever they need to me is part of the exhaustion of why at the end of the day, I'm like, Mm
1: -hmm. just fucking pass this off. It's what takes the most energy when you, if you do not show up authentically, then you're always playing a role. And that's the exhausting piece. Mm -hmm. You know, something that we say a lot in the foundation is who you are as a person precedes who you are as a chiropractor. And that the tools that you need, first and foremost, are the ones that allow you to love who you are and to be that person, to show up as that person. Because exactly what you said, Lauren, that whole the imposter thing that comes from pretending to be somebody else. And um
3: well, yeah. the other the other big piece is that you know I think a recipe for burnout is being everything to everyone. Yeah, I mean that's just not possible. And I think you know we enter in the role of doctor wanting people to to feel better, but we get you know I think there's early on in our career we give so much that we take away from ourselves, you know, and so you know to to be in our own power you know, the definition that I love the most is, is when, when we're personally powerful, people can come and take what they need, but it doesn't take anything from you. And I think that that's actually rings true with our patients. It's like, if we can be really solidly grounded in who we are, what we do, why we do what we do, then patients can come and, you know, they can take what they need, but we're not attempting to be anything more than, you know, or give anything more than we have um, to take away from ourselves. And that kind of self-management piece takes a long time. Well, and you're 20, when you're 25,
0: yeah. like you showing up authentically, maybe like, uh, hey. Hey. like, I don't know, <laughs> like, is that realistic? Like, you know, you can show up authentically now because you are a wise Interesting human, you know, like I can show up authentically and be like, oh my God, breastfeeding? Like, yeah, it feels like it's like cutting you with glass. And, you know, like, because we, but that's
1: authentic. Yeah. We work with 20 year olds. You haven't done that. Like, if you haven't, we work with 20 year olds who are like, maybe authentically showing up in your vulnerability and being like, I'm new. I don't know. Yeah. But like, I got my people. If you can. I think, and and you know, maybe this is some of our role, your role, Lauren, and, and you have a great impact on so many young women in chiropractic, is to like people talk a lot about holding space. It's like this, it, it's become a marketing buzzword. But mm-hmm. and very recently on our retreat, what happened? I was talking with a, a student, and it was the first time someone showed up to one of our retreats who we had never met. And she said, I was talking to her, it was getting near the end. And I said, you know, how are you doing? We're, you know, having a check in. She said, I've never felt more seen and heard. Like people talk about holding space all the time and I actually feel it. And I think that if we really focus on, on like words matter, if you're gonna talk about holding space for somebody, then part of our job is to hold up the mirror and let them see that who they are is beautiful. And that's the first step, right. Is for them to know that they're already perfect. Yeah. And so in this age of the, oh my gosh, the self-help and all the things. And the, it's like, let's help you just be you because that's beautiful.
3: And I mean, that's what, that's what I love about your messaging. It's what I love about you know, the way you and Kirby have put your relationship out there, the way you put yourself out there, the way you're willing to explore those things. It's, you know, a lot of the younger generation of doctors that are coming out are so exposed to seeing a level of um, perfection in its Mm -hmm. expression that they've lost the ability to meet themselves where they're at and be okay with it. It's like, of course you're 25 and you're entering a profession and you don't know it. And you're not sure what it's going to feel like. Of course, that's going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, is, is your ability to basically, you know, it's like Monique said, it's like, but who are you? Be okay with where you're at, be in a constant state of learning observing, reaching out to the people you relate to in that time and space and growing, then yes, you, you know, the, the result is wisdom, experience, comfort. Of course it gets easier with age to show up authentically. And Mm
0: -hmm. we
1: just have to keep holding the space and the mirror to let them see. A 25 year old
0: may not have wisdom that, and what all the other things, but they can show up and be consciously present. Totally. They can be non-distracted focus yeah they can be confident while being vulnerable of like you know that sound you know like in the example of like a mom who's breastfeeding it feels like a razor on her nipple you can be like that sounds really hard how are you do you have people that you can talk to but you know we pump out again kind of back to the first part of the conversation we pump out these people who think they're supposed to have all these answers because of that like much more like masculine energy of like do not show vulnerability do not connecting Uh there you know connecting isn't what they're paying for they're paying for the 75 pounds of force to the sacrum (laughs) (laughs) right.
3: right right
1: you know what? Like connection is the most important thing. And if you're a 25 year old doctor, don't try and show up like a 50 year old sage, you know, like if you're the 25 year old doc with the 38 year old mom, then maybe your role is not to give advice about the, I can hardly even say nipple razor blade (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) Uh, you know what I mean?
3: It's like, Just, well, do you, well, I mean, I remember, I don't know, maybe I'm, no, but I remember really, I remember this moment when I was a younger doc, I remember this moment with a patient of mine who was pregnant and was really uncomfortable and not just like physically uncomfortable, but really having difficulty being pregnant and knowing that culturally it's not okay to say, I actually am not enjoying this. Like I thought I would enjoy being pregnant, but I'm actually really struggling with being pregnant. And I remember the moment. And of course, as somebody who's never been pregnant, I just sort of am having this conversation. And the reason that she chose to have, you know, to sort of say like, I'm uncomfortable being pregnant. She says that to me because I've never been. And so maybe I can relate to her in that way. But we have this moment where she says, uh, where I, I had said to her, I am 100% confident that not every woman that has ever, you know, that there are other women who do not enjoy being pregnant. And it's really unfortunate that our culture does not allow you to say that and, and interpret it as being. I don't like being pregnant. Therefore I'm not going to like being a mom. Like those things are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so we have this moment where we're having this kind of exchange and then she just starts bawling and says, I just want this fat suit gone. And, it, the, and then she was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I could say that. Like, I didn't realize I was carrying that much emotion associated mm-hmm. with these changes that have happened in my body, you know? And I think that's the kind of thing, like when we say hold a safe space, it's like there's no judgment. And in that moment, I felt so honored that she could have that release and have that conversation and know that I was not going to judge her for it. You know, that 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 she could talk about how uncomfortable because I'm working with her body, because I relate to her in that way. And so I think, you know, if that younger doc can just meet people where they're at without judgment and know that they can say whatever, they can it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard.
1: It's hard. I, I totally, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and be like, Yo, anybody can drill authentically. <laughs> it's hard. I just want to acknowledge, I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah, you
2: know. Yeah, so so like your guys's journey. Um, I know you guys are both spiritual and you both have practices and everything. Does it feel like that ability to hold space for people and not think of things dualistically? Did that, were you drawn to spirituality because you're in this profession and you hit your head against the wall long enough and learned that you had to do that? Or did that come from spirituality influenced your practice more? Or like your actual doctoral
1: practice? That's interesting. I mean, I grew up in a religious from a, with a religious background and I think I became spiritual in spite of that, like, you know, how <laughs> yeah. that kind of goes. Yeah. Um, I think I would say that my, that my deeper appreciation and need to have a spiritual path came after the challenge of having to deal with people in practice and, and learning what that meant, you know, like, how, did, how do I deal with my mind in relation to what's happening here um, and there's for me spirituality is a lot of it has to yes there's a connection to source to God or however you want to call it oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it also is about um, finding a place of stillness to be able to drop deep into soul and just let go mm-hmm. and that's a that's a practice that just, has evolved and continues to evolve,
3: and that I love. I think for me, I'd answer it differently. I, I grew up um, going to church every Sunday, and I grew up with one parent that I would say, in reflection now at this point in my life, one parent where spirituality was an an inside like like my dad. Everything about his his spirituality and God and his relationship with God was his own. Mm -hmm. And we could see that. Mm -hmm. And my mother was much more outward in her expression. I mean, she was much more like the, we were going to church as a family and we were getting dressed up and looking a certain way to get there. And if there was a certain amount of, it felt there was a little bit of incongruence. And I think my, my father passed away when he was um, 48 and in the process of him dealing with his, morbidity and mortality he and i have had a lot of conversations that i would now say were about being human and so the you know what drew me to chiropractic to begin with was the connection with the power that made the body has the capacity to heal the body. And it was not like that ultimately was what attracted me to chiropractic. Like what would it look like if healing was an inside job? What would it look Mm -hmm. like if healing was our own responsibility? Because when he was diagnosed with a malignant tumor, I had conversations with him about his relationship with his life and with his journey. And for me, it was like in that moment in time, it's like, we are all here to experience we're, we, have a, we have been gifted a life. We are energetic spiritual beings that have a physical vessel. There is no guarantee how long that physical vessel or that life is going to be. Um, you know. And I would attribute a lot of that to my dad. So when I assumed the role as doctor and facilitator, so much of my conversation was about meeting people where they're at in whatever aspect of their health journey, wherever they were, um, to, you know, like we had written on the wall, like, you know, um, we want to empower people um, to understand their bodies and its expression i mean that's really what what i intended to do from day one and so you know i think spirituality and how i relate to my body how i relate as a non-interventionist how i um, relate to the world 20 years later of watching and being with people in their health dilemmas worked far more than I ever imagined with people in cancer with cancer. Um, right now I'm working, you know, and, and I'm, um, very much connected to a former student whose little boy was just diagnosed with, um, uh, with a terminal cancer, my ability to meet somebody where they're at in that journey. I'm not involved in the drama anymore. I trust that God has a plan. And, and, and we, we are just privy to that experience. And so the best I can do is meet somebody exactly where they're at and support them in wherever their struggle is. And it's my dad, I think that gifted me the opportunity to live my life that way.
1: I think spirituality affords us the ability to let go. Like, you know, you can't resolve a a new baby being born with terminal cancer. How can you possibly resolve it? Mm -hmm. So you have to let go.
0: Yeah. And when you say God has a plan that, you know, and this is where it is really hard with the person you're talking to, if they are imagining a man in the clouds, Mm -hmm. um, that God has a plan can be very jarring um, for all of the hurt and the hate. But when it's like, there is, energy and love that you know gets cycled through and it is not chaotic it does not know because that energy is so pure mm-hmm. and love like it cannot be chaotic so you know when we're seeing the expression of chaos like that can't be that's that's not the plan you know so,
3: Well, it's it's interesting because I, with m- multiple other you know, sort of within the community that knows and is rallying around this particular individual. I've had a lot of conversation with them individually because there's the, I, you know, you, you learn words to be able to diffuse any attachment people have. So if somebody has an attachment to God and they, they they think about God in the clouds, then I'm not going to use that word. I'm going to talk about a greater plan The you know, mm-hmm. the universe, you know, we can play with whatever that is, but ultimately whatever word that's non-triggering that we're talking about, you know, it's like, I'm having a lot of conversations right now about, um, and, and this rings true really for where we are. You know, in a vaccination COVID kind of world, it's like when our values are non interventionist, Mm -hmm. then what we have to deal with is a culture that believes that intervention is going to have the answer and is disrespectful of those that may choose to not intervene. And I think that there's a misunderstanding that we're not choosing intervention versus not. I think for many of us, where we really do come from that place that our body has an incredible capacity to heal. And I'd like to take responsibility for my own health. Thank you. Our decision is an intervention versus not very oftentimes, I think what happens is you're a non-interventionist and we have fear. Mm-hmm. Fear that if we don't intervene, I'm going to, it's going to be a problem or fear. If I don't do intervene, it's going to be a problem. And so for us, the conversation and, and, and how we feel, where our values are, what our belief system is um, really is going to you know, help us make that decision is, you know, learning about the fear space is also about trusting and understanding that there is a greater, there's great, something greater than us. That actually is playing out. Um, and then I'll explain the physiology of fear. <laughs> yeah
1: Yeah, I love there's a great Gandhi quote that says, um, "The opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear." And fear grips people. And mm-hmm. it's not just a psychological process, it's a physiological process as well mm-hmm. that then starts to drive the whole machine. And I think this is a really great place where chiropractors can actually have an impact and say, look, you know, the adjustment can actually help you deal with stress better. It can make you more adaptable. It can make you more resilient. And if you want to know how, go ask Dr. Mo, but I just know it works, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it we can have an impact in many ways that go beyond explaining to somebody like you know the 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 intricacies of it yeah um that's where being an effective communicator comes in especially in a time like now where everybody's sympathetic nervous system is through the roof do you feel like
0: we're being dealt fear from a strategic and opportune opportunity. So, so,
3: so when I, when we were in Costa Rica, there was this really interesting moment. So um, I used to lifeguard, I used to teach swimming and of course we're at the ocean and everybody's talking about their relationship with water and swimming. And, and I had said, you know, there's this whole um, instruction method where um, babies actually don't need to learn to swim like they were in water and and so there's a whole instruction method where um videos if you've never oh, seen yeah, them they're amazing yeah. right and oh, you just watch the the movement pattern that comes so naturally and you watch these babies kind of just float to the surface when and they're, they're like little, dropped in the water right when they drop in the water and and there's no fear and so when i'm talking about it i said well if you teach them fear they'll drown <sighs> And there was this calm. And one of the attendees said, actually, I never thought about that, but that's what's happening in this world. It's like, if you teach people fear, they will drown. I mean, it's debilitating, right?
1: I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. In fact, I know it's a bit of both. It's that whole nature nurture thing because the brain is hardwired to look for danger, right? That's how we evolved. Now, we don't need to be looking for saber sand- tigers t- still. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I think and I think what you were maybe getting towards is is the current narrative designed to create fear, mm-hmm. and I would say yes yeah. because it helps to um, propagate the trajectory that's desired for power and money and whatever the end game is. Right? You know, it's not just about big pharma. Some people believe it's about depopulation. Um, you know, we could go to down a whole road that I, I, it's not in my area of expertise, but, you know, you talk to people like Billy DeMoss and, um, wow. I had a conversation with him a month ago and, mind that's yeah. me doing the mind blown thing mm-hmm. um, because it's not a place that my brain goes to think that people are orchestrating this in order to cull the, the an overpopulated planet but there are many people that believe that's the case and and maybe it is i don't know but that's well, and it's, it's that's a really that i i have to be a, a more hopeful and positive than that
3: yeah i mean i think that i you know one of the questions i've had from the very beginning in this last year, and and you know when I, when I'm struggling with something, I'll always want to go academic first. Like that's my safety. It's like okay, give me the facts, and then at least if I have the facts, I can start to you know sort of decode things myself. And and so I, the question I had was, what are they so afraid of? Like what about this virus are they so afraid of? Like. Because I understand their paradigm. I understand how they choose to approach things. And now I've learned the public health narrative. You know, so why are they so like why is cultivating fear the strategy? Like what are they so afraid of? Because people act right? it makes people
1: acquiesce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If people are in a state of fear, then they're going to move towards something that they think creates safety. This is, I mean, the brain is designed for that. Our highest human need is safety. Number one, safety. Mm -hmm. How do we get there? Do what they say. And if this is our culture, is to follow, you know, government, big pharma, medicine, what have you. Gosh, we should try and talk about something pleasant. You <laughs> well, no, don't get to talk about this stuff
3: with people. No, I, I,
2: <laughs> it all gets into, and not just uh, government institutions, but it seems like social media, I don't know if you guys have watched the documentary The Social Dilemma, but like, it's a oh, lot yeah. of what you're talking about of, they're kind of mm-hmm. hacking the brain and using what the brain wants to look for, which is fear. It's how marketing works is you create a problem and then you solve it. So we get indoctrinated, not just by our institutions, but by our entire economic model, which like I'm laissez-faire capitalist kind of promoting, but there's not really an alternative. It doesn't seem like there's as much noise happening or people.
0: Simultaneously though, what's
2: interesting is it's like,
0: I don't know, you know, I, I guess when we look back at like 2019 and some of the social uprisings that were happening publicly, it feels really disheartening that, well, actually it kind of makes <laughs> kind of makes sense um, that there was a momentum to walk away from some of these, these um things that were happening that were like, this is this is not okay. And people were starting to like you know, not acquiesce. And so something kind of big needed to like get back in line. But then how do you hold that thought? And this is what, you know, this is what draws me to spirituality is the comfort of not knowing of not being in either dualistic thinking, but like my brain goes like, well, shit, I think people are good but this doesn't seem good. This seems very powerful. Like, so how do I, because do you believe people are inherently
1: good? (laughs) Yes, I do. I I do. And I want to believe that. Like I, you probably have heard of the meta meditation where you put out that you want people to be free from harm. They want people to be free from, (laughs) um, discomfort free from struggle. I think that we have to come from that place. And especially as people in the healing world, you can't carry, you can't carry that negativity around. And if you do, it will destroy you. And, and I think, I think it's the essence of what draws us to something like chiropractic, that you have to believe, and, and as a spiritual person, that, that our purpose here on this planet is love, and that all these other things that are happening, the struggle for power, the struggle for money, the struggle for control this is created by these narratives that we allow that we indulge our minds to go. Right. And when that gets put forward into a collective consciousness, like happens with the tyranny of some of the leadership, then you go to those places, but that doesn't, you know, those individual people probably they're not bad people. It's just, they got caught up in this bad idea. I think I fundamentally believe our purpose here is to love one another and, um, in that in the end, whatever, when you die or when you pass, um, I think that we ascend into that. I think that 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 is our reason for being on the planet. And if we just can always remember that, what is my job? What is my job? For me, it's about my mantra to myself. Whenever I have a question and I'm really stuck, should I do this or not? Is like, does this ease the path? If the answer is no, I don't do it. And for me, that's about love. And we just keep coming back to that. There's all kinds of bad shit happening all the time. It happened 100 years ago. It happened 10 years ago. It's happening now. We have to keep coming back to my purpose is love. And even if you're wrong, guess what? You get to have a better life. The people around you experiencing your love get to have a better life. I'd rather be an optimist. I'd rather come from a place of love and be wrong than come from a place of fear and anger and negativity and be right.
2: And it's funny that that attachment to anger can be a block in your path. Uh, Ram Dass says, like, it's okay to protest as long as you can love the person and the ideas you're protesting as much as you love yourself.
1: Yeah, anger
2: protest. It's okay, but you can't be attached to your anger and your not themness.
1: Anger can be a very useful tool because actually it gives you a consciousness around, it gives you cognitive awareness of, Hey, I'm having a feeling. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually it's anger. Why am I having that? And then you can actually have a conversation in your own mind before you start. You never have to scream at anybody. It can be a positive construct that you
3: use for the power of good. See, and I don't, I'm not a human being that relates to anger. Um, I won't, you know, I, I, I never grew up in a, in an environment where there was any, I mean, I, I sort of did, did the shutdown as opposed to the explosion, you know, like mm-hmm. that was not I, that was sort of my my childhood. And so, for me, I choose to look at like there's a lot that's changed in this world really quickly. And so, you know, people, checking in with themselves and taking you know responsibility or questioning their own health decisions has changed my ability like i've met some really amazing people this year i mean you guys are are part of that like my path has crossed other people in in a way that i'm incredibly grateful for in this last year you know i am on the beach in Costa Rica, there are far more sea turtles that are nesting this year than any other year I've ever been there because humans are not there (laughs) intervening with nature, you know? Um, And so, you know, even just the work and our ability to connect with, um, you know, other people that maybe we can help or support, like that's been a gift of this year. And so I just really, I would prefer to stay focused on on what flowers are coming up as a result of this really interesting time. Like, I feel so grateful for my privilege so that I don't have to worry about my bills, a roof over my head, my family, um, my own health, because I actually am very empowered and understand it in a way that many people don't. you know, so yeah, like I, I just choose to stay in that place um, of gratitude and love um, because I am not interested in inhabiting anything other than that, you know?
0: Yeah. And I don't, do you believe like in naive, naivety,
2: naivety, Naivety. Naivety?
0: naivete? you know, because like I'm naturally a very, or I used to be. I should kind of like stop saying what I am because it's like really evolving at a faster pace than I think I am. Um, you know, I, I think that when you're talking about leading with love and assuming love, and if you're wrong, what's there to lose? But if you're holding on to the ego of like I will look stupid that I was wrong, I wrong, will get taken advantage. I of. will get taken advantage of, like you know does that a concern for you at all? No,
1: I, no, no. If, if you asked me that 10 years ago, it might've been now. I have, I have no attachment to what anybody thinks about me anymore. Um, you know, Jung says up until 40, you, it's like your life is just a practice. You're practicing. Um, Yeah, no, I don't have any attachment to that. Yeah, that's a gift of age, Mm -hmm. I think.
3: Yeah, I mean, I (laughs) here's what I would say. I mean, I, I, I watch you, Lauren, um, having conversations um, in a very direct outward way that I have personally with people but I'm not sure I would be super comfortable doing it in the way that you're doing it. And you are growing as a human being in front of other people. And yeah, that's a beautiful thing. That's an amazing thing to watch. Like I, I so love watching you grow. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way. It's that you, by you putting yourself and your vulnerabilities out there in the way that you do, you've created an opportunity for so many people yeah. to just feel their own vulnerability and normalize it in a mm-hmm. way that they can grow. Like there's just so much power in that. Yeah, um,
0: It's cathartic to do for sure. Like when you have to, t- when I have to talk about like ego and how it shows up for me still and mm-hmm. like, you know, it sheds light. Uh-huh. It, it really just helps that process go really fast because I'm very impatient. So I think that's kind of um, you know. So I'm also very selfish. Like I'm very. I don't know if you've listened enough to know that. Like this is all about me. Like I'm not
2: necessarily being vulnerable for others. And it's good that she does this because offline she won't go to therapy. <laughs> like she's <laughs> busy. So when she can do therapy, where it like benefits. It's not her that I won't someone. go to
0: therapy. It's that my I keep finding therapists that are annoying, (laughs) and like I'm just like yeah "Yeah, okay next okay got it yeah and then like I I'm jarring to them because you know it's like when we went to therapy when we went try a Jungian therapist sorry you were gonna say no so we went to therapy as a couple and I remember on God we're like on our like tenth session.
2: Yeah, and so, we we're just like, like we're working it. through doing this kind of conversation, like the, the way that you guys talk to each other about like about spirituality and, you know, being aware of each other and how to respectfully communicate. And we're just doing it back and forth. Right. And he just started us with a question. <laughs> then we had been talking for 25 minutes.
0: <laughs> and he's just like, I mean, this politely, but is this a show? Like, is this do you guys do this? I'm like, yes, we talk. So
2: much, no so
0: much, he just wants to talk and
3: talk. <laughs> it's the interesting thing about talk therapy actually, because if you are a verbal processor, then, then you can sit and you can actually go, but you can create a narrative in an outward way through conversation that, you know, in a conventional talk therapy, you can kind of walk away with, and I've been there, I'm saying, because I know, I've, you know, walked out of a therapy session and thought, I could have done this in my own journal. Right. What? what, what did I just pay for like, if I you know? can,
1: if we can go back to the ego question for a second. And I think it's common for people to like, try to like stamp down the ego or ego is bad when really it's a tool. It's totally. And just like your mind, it shouldn't run the show.
3: Yeah.
1: Right. It's, it's a tool that you use. What is that quote? It's a ego is a great servant and a terrible master. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: it's like that. I think, I think, yeah. Like, I think ego has become this really horrible, like, it's like, we're, we're not supposed to be in ego, but ego is also what allows us to be successful how, in the way that yeah, we, we it's are. We, it's like to have confidence in ourselves and put ourselves out there and go, I have something of value that I want to share is an ego is is ego. It's, you know, for uh, like... Well, you couldn't do your job if you didn't
1: have ego. Yeah. You couldn't go to work and help people. Yeah, so how does ego show up as a servant? From being being conscious, from being awake. Like you say that, oh, it's really, I'm being selfish, but actually you're using that part of your ego for good because you're doing this thing and you're sharing it. Yes, it's actually helping you to share it publicly, but the impact that you're having by doing it is creating change for many, many, many people. Well, and, so, that's, the, and that's
3: the win-win. Yeah. It's by you knowing yourself in the way that you know yourself and by you having that confidence that's supported by ego, you are actually helping other people. People, you know, it, it's like that win-win, like ego when used in its, you know, in its proper way is is exactly the way you're doing it. It's I know myself, I have confidence in myself, I'm gonna expose myself, and other people will benefit,
2: mm-hmm. is a
3: really great way of using ego. You know, what's not a great way of using ego is where all of that negative connotation kind of comes from, you know. Um, or you actually believe it all. Right. Or you actually think, yeah. Or you really believe it. I mean, you know, like you indulge the idea,
1: uh, that you're superior or greater that the world revolves around you only or, or,
3: right. Right. Which you, which I think you inherently, both of you inherently already know that that's not the case. Otherwise you wouldn't you wouldn't be as humorous in the way that you do certainly like who wore it best. Legit, an episode called does Liz Lauren, a
0: narcissist or a psychopath. <laughs> but, okay. Let's be honest. We have Googled it. I do not fit the bill. So no, you, you completely just, do not. not. So
2: Narcissism is over here. She's, she's not over here, not. but she's not all the way there. So but we've
3: definitely Googled like, well, what exactly is wrong with you? We're going to just say, there's th- this would be in my opinion, just my opinion, this is when there's a healthy ego. Mm-hmm. There's a healthy relationship with ego and you're willing to relinquish it and find humor in it and understand that you know, you know when it's driving you, but you're also not going to steamroll other other human beings. Can I
1: tell you, here's the perfect test to see if your ego is out of control or not. Okay. When somebody writes something about your ego and you're offended. <laughs> <laughs> it happened to me just the other day. Somebody posted in the thread. The actually, it was that chart, and ev- everybody's like loving it, and the okay. students. And somebody posted, and they basically said, "Check your ego at the door, Mo." And I literally laughed out no. loud. No, no, I laughed out loud, and I thought, "Oh, thank I'm God!" So sorry that I
0: wasn't there to comment. Oh my God. His
1: response gives me diarrhea. <laughs>
0: I'm just like still on
1: the internet, just like, oh my God, I can't believe that person said that. We can't take that stuff seriously. Social media is it's a fun tool. For me, it's a creative fun. Yep. And you know, like, gosh, if if you if you're so if if you're easily injured, don't go on there. That would be my advice. <laughs> don't yeah. put yourself out there anyways, if you're easily injured.
0: Well, and that's where I kind of the The truth behind what I was saying of like, yes, I, it is helpful when people kind of say like you sharing this helps me. Like I literally get, and I'm like, okay. Like when people say that about the podcast of like, this helped me. Um, Dr. Yeah. Nisa's episode was extremely hard to do, but mm-hmm. having people be like, that helps me. I'm like, okay. Because I wanted to crawl inside a hole that was mm-hmm. like so really hard you know to do but um it forces me to grow quickly like yeah. grow very quickly and that is like the selfish part of like
1: cuz it- you're impatient
0: yes
1: But, but, but growth, (laughs) growth. like
0: I'm putting myself out there, you know, where you say like, don't go on social media if you're easily offended. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sensitive. I'm like this fragile, fragile flower of like, what do you mean one person doesn't like me?
2: Why? I think there's something. Can I send
0: them flowers?
2: There's, there's a thing too. It's kind of what you're saying with anger. I think that upsetness or uh, Richard Rohr says like, I wish daily for a humiliation because it shows me what I need to work on yeah Mm -hmm. like that thing where like if you are sensitive or if you are angry or if you are humiliated it's the thing you're talking about with anger of like oh good now i know like now i know where that hurts like so i get to deal with that
3: well and i and and it's interesting too right like we're so we live in a culture where um the default is to not be like the default is i'm uncomfortable i need to fix it like i need to you know i need to quickly do something about it right like it's it's and even with the word diversion you know like it's not i'm doing something different i'm diverting you know I'm, I'm trying to get out of the discomfort but i mean really growth only happens in those places of discomfort it's like when you have those moments of humility when you have that like oh wow i'm observing and i'm uncomfortable right now mm-hmm. you know um And whether that happens with, I didn't use the word I really meant, or, oh my God, I didn't realize that that would feel that way for somebody else, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I want to make a statement, but I'm not sure what the statement is. I just know that that isn't resonating with me. Like We grow in that place where we take that one small step, we put it out there, we recognize we're uncomfortable, and then we do exactly what you're talking about, Kirby, which is, and what about this has me feeling like i why am i feeling the way that i'm feeling Yeah, we have to examine you know? there needs to be
1: examination mm-hmm. right And this brings me right back to what we're talking about with chiropractic schools and education and how it's like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And I'm like, just step back for one second and be like, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, Why am I in this space? Like, we have to reflect to see what has led me here, because this is where the real valuable lesson comes. And if we're so impatient and I get impatient, Lauren, because I am impatient. (laughs) It's been like it's been my greatest lesson. Is Mo it's, an
2: eight? Yeah, do you guys know your Enneagram?
1: Jesus. I'm an eight.
0: I was <laughs> going to say, I, I'm sorry if I'm wrong because like, so my mom's an eight, my dad, like so my, our, we're very convinced our five-year-old or six-year-old's an eight. So, oh. but it's like the kind of the harshest, like hail Mary of like, are you an eight? <laughs> People <Yeah>. are like, <gasps> and like, why would you say that about me? I'm like, I'm
3: sorry. Cause I think you're an eight. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm an eight with a seven wing. That's the bear. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, how did you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it just kind of, um, I don't
2: know. It's an energy, huh? of, Is it energy, yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah.
3: Cool. Tamira, what are you? Do you remember? I think you're a three. I think I'm a three. Yeah. I think I'm a three. Yeah. Awfully non, I don't know. I don't know. You're awfully selfless.
0: <laughs>
2: Lauren's a three so she
0: threes are very vain very vain like that's their cardinal sin is like
3: uh so tell tell everyone so here so I had mean? this really so so this is <laughs> we talked about therapists i mean, I, I'm gonna share this because like it, you know this is what's popping into my head so worry, I'm, I'm with a therapist and I'm all I've like my whole life up until this moment I'm aware that uh this is my narrative so I'm gonna give you my my narrative I'm a bit judgmental. I'm like, a, ask me what I think. I'm gonna tell you what I think. It's gonna be really direct. And my internal dialogue is, ooh, I'm, I'm a little judgmental. Like I wish I wasn't so judgmental. And so I'm sitting with a therapist and I somehow this you know, aspect of me and self comes out. And the therapist just really seriously looks at me and she says, if I said you were discerning how would you feel about discern if I said you're discerning and not judgmental? How would you feel? And I went, Oh, I feel so much better. I have no problem being discerning, but I have a problem really? with being judgmental. And the therapist goes, Then why don't you try the word discerning on for a while? And it changed everything for me. I'm like, oh God, that feels so much better for me. I'm just discerning, you know? And so when you say vain, I'm gonna tell you what that's changed. So the therapist changes judgment to discernment, and I'm good. Vanity, totally had that going for a lot of my life. And then I changed it. And I just am really aesthetically, perceptively (laughs) inclined. I love things to look a certain way. I'm unapologetic about it. I like when things look good. I like what... So here's the, I'm Here. no longer vain.
2: So you should definitely work in marketing. I'm um, yeah. no
1: longer vain.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just really like You're aesthetically inclined. I'm aesthetically <laughs> inclined. And that is a game changer for me as well. We could do a course in marketing People communication. Just, yeah. Yeah, and you need people to see when you are aesthetically inclined, because that's also the big part of three. Hey, look, the very first time that Monique ever spoke to a big crowd was at a convocation. And she's speaking at a convocation and I, I really actually enjoy not knowing what she's going to deliver. I like being an audience member. And so I'm in the audience. I'm going to finish this story. Can I finish this story? No, no, No. (laughs) and, and so she's talking and I'm enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. And then, okay, you can have it go. Exactly no, so I'm. This is the first time I've ever spoken
1: in front of a large crowd, seven hundred people. I'm giving the convocation speech at a chiropractic graduation, and I say I get up there and I say, you know, I got. I was really worried about giving this talk. Actually, you might have seen it. It's on my Instagram page, and uh, and I say, you know, I thought they're going to want me to say something good, and uh, and I say, you know, you might want to know about difficult cases in practice, or da da da, and some of you just want to know where Dr. Matt gets her clothes. And I was and the place erupted because every student in the place
3: was like, yeah, we do want to know. And all of these, like all of these students, they knew where I was sitting. They all looked around. They're all chuckling. And I was in the crowd and I thought, oh, my God, she just said that in public. (laughs) And in truth, in truth. Oh, yeah, it was true. I was like, oh, my God, are people really wondering that? (laughs) I, see yeah, I,
2: can see I
3: thought our, I no really, are people wondering? <laughs> she that? is a three. She is a three, three. three. So, so this is what three looks like. Okay, right, this, is, see? this is what three, yep. this three looks differently when we remove the attachment to vanity and judgment. Mm-hmm. Then okay. move towards discernment and aesthetically inclined. Right. You then I
0: can love myself a little more. To anger.
1: What's that? Can you do your marketing turn
0: of words to anger for Monique?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think anger uh, becomes anger when you take it to the positive becomes a, a constructive force for your own power. I have one word. What? It becomes passion. Yeah, anger becomes passion. Yeah,
0: okay, I had, I had do justice. Kirby now. I had
2: justice in mind. Okay, so, so
0: Kirby's nine. So procrastination. <laughs> oh, so
3: so procrastination in my opinion. <laughs> If you're asking, um, procrastination is really about perfectionism because really it's a really easy excuse for why you didn't do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get, I just didn't have enough time.
2: I didn't have it set in my mind. Didn't, it,
3: it wasn't in my mind. So I'm going to be okay with what I deliver given that I didn't have enough time to make it perfect. Mm-hmm. So, so there's an, abs, like, like wanting or knowing very clearly That this would be a perfect a perfect execution as possible, and that's what you would all you'll always aspire to. Except if you don't give it enough time, then you let yourself off the hook for that perfect execution. It's and it's easier to deal with personally and internally to know that it was as good as I could get done in the time that I had. Yep. But honestly, I could have done it perfectly. Oh, if can I we had go back to talking about time. me for a
1: second? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: not, not, I
2: didn't really
1: hear everything that you said, but I was thinking about the anger and the passion. I love it. I thought you loved it. <laughs> no, but it made me think about teaching in a classroom and some students being terrified of me. And I, because I think sometimes people miss discern passion for anger.
2: Well, and just because the I, way that you might relate of if you're an eight, like confrontation isn't a big deal to you. It's kind of how you interact with the world. You bump up against things. And if someone has something to say, they tell you, and then you go, cool, glad we glad we, yeah, did we this. got this.
1: And yeah. it terrifies people because they know I'm gonna be like, like people, students would say, I could see you look right through me because I'm willing to just be like, what? And it would be like, they used to call it the doctor mode death stare, right? <laughs> oh the glasses would come down and they'd be like, oh my, and I would ask them a question in class because I would learn their names. With, I would have 60 students in a classroom within three days, I've memorized everybody's name and I would call them out by their name It would like maybe that's why they were terrified, but then they would be so terrified by me calling out their name. They'd forget the answer. Right. Um, But I think passion can become misjudged as anger and, and that. Um, it can be
3: misused, right?
1: It can be misused. And I don't want people, the angry people out there thinking, I'll just tell them I'm passionate. No, <laughs> if you're an angry asshole, <laughs> you know, don't, don't be that. Either. Be angry with love. Yeah. I don't know. Be angry. Just with use love it constructively. Okay. It's it, use it. You know, if you need it to assert your, you need to express, I don't think it's healthy to repress anger either. Like anger has a job. It's telling you something like any other emotion that you have. It's telling you
2: something. But you can name it what you want. Yeah, that's nice. Us threes
1: would really
0: prefer not to have emotions. Like, (laughs) it's fine.
3: It's good. Not outwardly.
0: Yeah, no. (laughs) So what what is next for you guys? So you just got back from a prana retreat. You have another prana retreat in June. June. Okay. Hopefully, this is 2021 going to look like.
1: (sighs) We've got some big things coming up, some very big things. Something that we can't talk about yet, something that we can talk about is Tamara's sort of just about to relaunch her brand. So she's been doing some work there. And I think that's going to be really exciting because a lot of people, more people know who I am because I've been out there speaking on stages all over. And so my brand, my eight brand has kind of been defined. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think more people are just starting to learn about her gifts. And so I'm really excited The foundation's really excited to see um, her blossom and grow in the world to get to experience more of what she has to offer in terms of her mentorship. I think that's really what um, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm sure Tamara is.
3: Yeah, I mean, this time last year, I wasn't sure I knew what I loved to do, but I wasn't sure how that was going to play out in which form, what was it going to look like? Um, and ultimately for me at this point in my life, I want to do what I love to do and I want it to have meaning. And so, you know, I spent, I think last year sort of just trialing a number of different things to see where I felt like it was a really great fit. And now I, now that I know that Um, The next piece for me, I mean, anybody that, you know, anybody that's um, that has a business has to figure out what's their languaging and and what's their brand and what you know, what are people attracted to and when people are giving you testimonials, what are they consistently saying, you know, and Mm -hmm because so many people met me as a senior administrator in charge of their academic administration, you know, sort of education, carrying all the textbooks, carrying all the textbooks. They didn't get to see the side of me. That is where I feel most me like over a table, talking about patient care, talking about patient psychology, being able to, um, you know, work with young docs who know that they don't want to be pain-based, but aren't really even sure how to take a patient from I'm coming in with blah, blah, blah. And how do you take them to a different place in relationship to health and wellness and their, you know, their relationship with their own body, you know, like, so I needed, I needed some help Really, just a lot of this year was a lot of listening like, mm-hmm. who are my people and what are they looking for? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so yeah, like I've been playing a lot with that languaging, um, and, and feeling questions. like I have much more clarity mm-hmm. associated with what that is. Yeah. Okay, so I have some questions. <laughs> okay, do it. So,
1: Mo, how long have you had like the Dr. Mo knows brand? Okay, this is really cool. So, Dr. Mono's—it's actually I. It first it made its first appearance uh, only a year ago at Cal Jam was the very first time I launched Dr. Mono's. Okay. Yeah, you wouldn't say you had like a brand before. No, had- I had a personality, which okay. is big, and so Great. people kind of <laughs> people knew me because I was speaking at like I was speaking in the chiro- on the chiropractic stages for the last three years. And so that's kind of put me out there a little bit more, and then my brand—it honestly is—is is who I am. It's not—I didn't build it. It just is me. So it was the
0: easiest thing in the whole world. Okay, so I'm gonna need your help editing
2: this question. <laughs> I'm her offense translator. She said right. something too harsh and offensive, and then I yeah, no go like you do. <laughs> so. There is something magnetic about each of you
0: individually. Absolutely. But when we're talking about, you know, we're talking about like chiropractic school where it needs like the masculine, but it needs the feminine. You can't, it's hard to get through chiropractic school without the feminine. Um, When I see you two and not to either honestly even put either energy on either of you. It's interesting to me that you have this desire to keep your brands or as like separate tracks where it's like, I'm assuming the Prana Foundation is kind of where you would say your brands merge. Yep. yep. I think the question is like, have you, have you thought about instead like really focusing on growing that? Cause that is what is needed, right? Is we need this hard, like the neurology, we need this, like, that's what's necessary to be a doctor, but then Tamara, you're coming in with this, like this way to incorporate it, it through like all these things. And it's like, well, why are they
3: separate? Can you so, guys figure out how to merge these please? Or, yeah, you so know, there's, it's just there's two, there's, I would answer the two different ways. One, we have always been in business together and we work incredibly well as a team. And what we've learned over the years is we also need our own autonomy in some aspect of our expression. Mm -hmm. So, so she needs Dr. Mo knows to be her. I need my own thing. That's just mine. Mm -hmm. And when we, we know where we connect and where we work best. And so when we created the foundation, we knew that that connection between like, you know, people have asked us, like you guys could run an entire program, like between the two of you and what you love doing, you could teach just, anything. Oh, like, symbiotic. And like, yeah. And our personalities also are, are attractive to different people. Like we communicate in different ways, but yet ultimately, once people get to know us, then they see how we work and what we collectively have. And so when we, when we built the foundation, it was about that collective educational service community piece. And, um, and me having my own thing is because what I know about myself is I do actually need my own thing to be me. Like I, I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the couple's bank account, you know, or the like, it's kind of like that. It's like we have what we are 100 percent committed to together mm-hmm. and I still want my own bank account. Mm-hmm. I would say, you this. Know, I love that. Like that.
1: I love that question, Lauren. And I would a couple of things I would say, and, and you're not the first one to say, like, there's this dynamic that you two have, that's very compelling. And in fact, when we met with some branding people a while ago, and they're like, you two are like a force of nature, you know, like a force majeure. And uh, I would say that the foundation is really in its infancy in terms of, I don't think it's even we haven't really developed what's you know, it's like we're both in it and my signature program is Dr. Mono's and Tamara's signature really is in her advanced mentorship. And w- I, I think we're not totally clear yet on what the foundation is going to look like when it grows up, you know, mm-hmm. give us another year. And I think
0: okay, I'll give you a year.
1: I can't wait to see, actually, because I know it's going to be incredible. But, but we're not, it hasn't fully developed yet. And it's sort of like we needed to get something out there really quickly when we had to make a shift when we had to leave California. It was like, what are we going to do? Okay. We always had this idea of the foundation. Let's do it. And then it was like, uh, uh, okay, uh, people know who you are uh, and we know that you can teach, go teach online. Dr. Mono's boom. Like we had to move because yep. we had to make a living. We were burning through our savings. And so it was like, you know, it was thanksgiving of 2019 that the foundation was born and i would say that it's it's maybe just starting to walk it's definitely not starting to talk yet um but it's going to
2: oh no you guys froze up let's see if they come back they'll come back can you guys hear up oh yeah 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 okay now you're back you froze up
3: where did you
1: lose me
2: uh, you said it's, it's not learning.
1: It's, it's not, not learning to talk yet. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and then I said, and this is where the teaser comes in, which is. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <That's>, <laughs> <hopefully>, <laughs> it would be really great if this is where the teaser comes in and that's yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is hopefully within the next few months, we're going to have a really big announcement to make. And um, Tell them no, we can't. We're not going to talk about it yet. No, it's uh, but it's a big deal. And um, we're so close and we cannot
3: wait to be able
1: to make that announcement. And I think it's gonna be really big for the foundation.
3: The other thing too, Lauren, is um, defining me um, is what we're doing now. And we're gonna do more work in that realm for the foundation so that we can, you know, really sort of explore more of the vision and what that, you know, what we'd like that to look like. Um, Yeah, it's,
1: Thanks for asking that. What a great question. And yeah, you know what? I like, appreciate that a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah. Because it's something All that what we people need said. is both of you. And so it's like, when it's kind
0: of like, well, we have these two separate when it's like sold, I don't want to say sold, but like, um, yeah, yeah. We know what you mean. option of like, well, which one are you doing? It's like, well,
1: which one do I you know, need? And it's like, we need both and the profession needs both and they're just, you know it's well we do have some mentorship programs we have a, a small group mentorship program that's both of us together where it's uh, we meet bi-weekly with a with a group of young doctors um, and so a lot of our mentorship programs are together we just dropped a polyvagal course last year that was we did together we're speaking at mile
3: high together so we're starting you'll start yep. to see more of that that's what's happening like we actually plan we've got four three or four courses where we're co-teaching and we've never co-taught that way. And so um, the polyvagal class was the first time that we'd ever done that. And so she did the science and then I talked about the application of it with Mm -hmm. patients. Yep. Um, and we're going to do the same thing with HRV. Um, we're talking about doing it with exam, which we thought might be actually really fun is to come from it from a principled perspective of neuro exam exam, patient flow and play with that aspect of it maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause we are constantly asked how much of an exam do I really need yeah. to do? What do I do with it? I'm in an office that doesn't do it. Like all of those kind of things. Um, so yeah. yeah, like, I think we're gonna deliver, we're gonna deliver course content in that way. Um, it's and gonna be freaks- fun. We're our- gonna, I can't wait to grow up.
0: Yeah. I cannot wait for you two to continue. Cause it's,
2: it's awesome. It's fun to watch. Yeah. All
0: right, final questions. All right, uh, rapid fire. What are you reading right now? I, uh, mean, way- I mean, in this moment, Mo.
2: Like <laughs> she's like, uh, there's a <laughs> sign behind the computer. <laughs> like
0: she's <laughs> Says, randomly- <laughs> do Not
2: disturb. Oh, I'm not supposed to be in here.
1: <laughs> I'm rereading the Twelve Stages of Healing by Donnie Epstein. Oh, okay. If you've never read it, it's very interesting.
3: Um, I'm reading The Web Has No Weaver, which is um, a. Pretty foundational sort of reading for traditional Chinese medicine. Um I'm reading, um, I I I'm rereading um When the Body Says No Mm -hmm. by Gabor Mate. Uh, Must read. So I'm just, I'm just reading those. And so those are my, you know, less fun reads. Yeah. Um I haven't read fiction for a while. The last time I read a, fic, a novel,
1: it took me a year. So I was like, why am I doing this? Just read what you want. Don't read fiction because you
3: think yep. you should. Yep. Um, I always have one of each on the go. One fiction, yep. one non. Always. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. She so, said it was rapid fire. I know. You're right. <laughs> Kirby, what okay, are you reading? Um, oh, what
2: am I reading? Well, right I mean, I thought well, I would ask you. I just oh. finished up Be Here Now. I'm currently reading a book on british history that's like summarized and kind of pithy and fun mm-hmm. um and then i just the fun of, i don't mm-hmm. know <laughs> it can be it, it's in a way that's it's it's fun to hear from their perspective they try to like trivialize america while uh, also going yeah. out of power anymore and they are so it's it's fun yeah. in that regard yeah yeah
0: what are you reading, Lauren? Mm-hmm. What am I reading? Um, I just finished "How to Think Like a Monk," and I liked that one. It was interesting because I started re- listening to it, reading it, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, is this gonna be just you kind of really like another like Rachel like Hollisy this. thing?" Yeah, and yeah. then I got into it. I was like, oh, "Okay, I actually really, I really enjoyed it." Um, and then um, the I have the archetypes: the mm-hmm. women who run with wolves. That is yes. I told Kirby that is like reading poetry. Like I read like four pages and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Every <laughs> sentence I want to like underline and like put on my Instagram. And I'm like, did you see the yeah. sentence? This yeah. Like a <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's your rapid fire question.
2: Um, I nerd out on like people. So you guys said you both have a practice, but like, what is that? Is it breath work? Is it mantra? Is it chanting? What, what do you do like each day?
1: It depends on the day. If I'm in a really Zen mood, then I'll sit in, and I will do Zen meditation and like go for the still mind. If I'm really struggling and have a hard day, I might even use a guided meditation. I might take out my mala and, uh, you know, chant through a whole cycle, 108 times. It really depends. It's like anything. And this is something that people miss about daily practice. They think it's like they have to sit on a freaking cushion and try and levitate. Like meditating is not about thinking and a daily practice for me is usually um, some sort of meditation, some breath work, and definitely some movement.
3: Okay. Um, so movement for me is going to be uh, running or cycling, road cycling. Um, I prefer to not engage in formalized work before 10 a.m. I like actually starting my day at my natural rhythm um, I like to decide how intensely I work out based, based on my HRV. I like objective information. I like to have a good sense of neural alert. What's, where's what's my where stress. You, do yeah.
2: you have like a whoop band that like tells you your HRV every day? I have you- a
3: little thing I put my finger in and it okay. gives me an idea of how much I can push myself. I actually really like intense workouts. I really love to push my heart rate intensely. I know what my lactate threshold is. I, I, I've always wanted to exercise like that and I really love it. And I'm too old to do that and break my body down. So I, I need the objective because my subjective will never choose to exercise moderately. She Um, loves objective measures. And I, my meditation, like I'm super boring. I will, I I find guided meditation very oftentimes gets in the way. I'm a big, like I have a gong and an ohm and it's the same all the time. It just varies in the length of time. Um, and yeah, like I, that's my favorite form of meditation is just to hold a hand position depending on what my needs are in that moment. And I love the stillness of just being still, but I'm a big omer. Mm-hmm. My, my
1: favorite is definitely silent meditation. Mm-hmm. And on the perfect day- She know you when she's oming. <laughs> and you're like- No, oh, if, we're, if she needs to and, she om like... and I need to be silent. We don't do it together. Shut that gong up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but on a perfect day, I have a silent meditation and I end up in a boat. I always say this idea that our the job is just to stay in the boat, right? And uh, on the most perfect days, my father will be in the boat with me. And it's divine because he answers my questions and he's like Buddha right there. I love it. Yeah,
2: that's great. That's really nice.
0: Okay, folks, there you have it, episode one hundo. So if this episode was inspiring to you in any way, I would love, you know, maybe take a screenshot and share it on social media. Don't forget to tag me so I know that you left a screenshot. Um, or if you've listened to She Slay's Today for any of the last 100 episodes and have been meaning to leave a review and just haven't gotten around to it, gee golly, it would just mean the world. Um, if this was the day, you did get around to it. Uh, reviews and downloads are the lifeblood of podcasts and what helps bring on great guests. Um, it makes the podcast stand out as like reputable. And people are like, okay, sure, I will donate my time to come talk to you. Lauren Brunswick. To each and every one of you who's been a part of the last 100 weeks of my life, thank you for allowing the space for me to authentically be me. As an Enneagram 3, showing up, you know, we're called the chameleons. Showing up as who I am truly every day in real life is difficult. Um, that's very difficult for threes to show up authentically. We like to morph into the conversation with who we're talking to, to make them like us. Again, not threes, not about them. It's all about us. But anyway, so real life is difficult. And somehow when it's just me and this microphone and a thousand plus of my best friends, y'all just make it easy. So, uh, with the unintentional decided catchphrase ending that I never really put much thought into and just kind of turned into itself... Until next week, She Slayers. Bye. Hey, She Slayers. Are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection so your schedule won't get out of hand. Sched was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to Scad because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait.